Okay, you can open your Bibles. First of all, just a little bit of a reminder when it comes to um, Sunday sermon, all right? Um, the sermon will... Ne- How many of you guys really remember like more than a handful of sermons? And I don't mean because they were bad. Um, if you've been around a long time, you probably have a few, but not many actually when it comes to the percentage of what you hear on a week-to-week basis. Um, And why I say that is not that we downgrade uh, our lesson or anything like that, uh, but the purpose of what we're doing now isn't meant to be your food for the week. That's really important, okay? Because if it's not, if it, here's how you know if you believe that theology. You never take notes. If you never are prepared to write some things down, or then you're, you're hoping that whoever's speaking is going to say something that will so shake you to your core that you will naturally remember it through the week. All right? And that may happen periodically, but all of us are probably the same. We've got to kind of stew on these a little bit. We've got to meditate on the Word of God. I mean, you've heard me say it over the past month. There are certain verses in the Bible, and actually many of them, I think, that just aren't good Sunday morning verses. And, and why I say that before you're like, oh gosh, where is he going with this? The reason why I say that is because so much of the teachings of Jesus require us to like go to a quiet place and study and meditate and apply it and really take some time to examine where we are when it comes to the scripture instead of i think we're really quick to like let me agree quickly all right so oh man uh, keith or uh, david or brent or they said something i'm going to agree immediately and what i'd even share with you is don't be so quick to agree Amen. but really i mean because as we've kind of joked about exactly i got you right there huh <laughs> you thought about that for a second but what we've talked, and we, and we joke a little bit about it as kind of a, a little bit of a preacher joke, is, is you can do, and you guys have all been in Sunday morning services where there's been a forced amen. Yeah. Right? Amen? amen? Right, exactly. See, you did it, and you don't even know what you're amening, right? You're like, hey, you know, I could say things and, and follow it up with amen, and the whole congregation will agree. But that's different than having a conviction, right? And so that's where I'm asking, I'm like, hey, It's great. I love the encouragement of like hearing that you're not asleep. Okay, so that's great. That's always good. Don't go, okay, we're going to be like stone cold quiet and never say a peep because he's going to catch me, you know. So there can be some things you're like, yeah, I really agree with that. And that's great. I mean, be out of yourself and that's awesome. But you got to put a note in your head and go, but I need to think more about this. Yeah. This is not the end of the story because I like amen a point or, you know, agreed with it immediately. Um, And so that's what I'm going to encourage you guys every Sunday, every Wednesday, every morning when you're doing a quiet time, have something you're writing in. All right. And that may be your phone. That may be an iPad. That may be a journal. That may. The reason is, is if you never go back again and read it, you actually will still ingest more because there's something about you putting words down on something that your brain tends to hang on to longer, okay? And so I just want you to challenge your own theology of, especially church, where sometimes it's easy to come and it's just, I'm a consumer. Yeah. 
Like, it's just, hold on a minute, what are you going to say? And if there wasn't anything, uh, then, okay, no big deal, that was kind of boring. But if there was, then, okay, I, I got that one point I remembered, but I'm not a student of the Bible. All right, so I'm going to encourage all of us, if you aren't making a practice of that, make a practice of that. Every day, every class, every Sunday, whatever it is, have something where you are engaged in order to take it away from here, because we're going to talk about something today that I think is super deep, all right? And it's going to require all of us to go back and, and probably each day, like, re-examine. Like, okay, hold on a minute. I need, I need to hear what God is saying to me about this. So you can turn to Galatians chapter 6, okay? So first of all, um, understand the, we're reading out of a book that tends to be a little bit complicated in some ways. All right, Galatians is very much about freedom and law and how the two of those concepts are just really hard to grasp onto. What do you know about the book of Galatians? Because remember, we're reading in chapter 6 today. That's the last chapter of Galatians, all right? So we've got to kind of understand why did Paul write this book and who did he write it to? What, what do you know about the letter to the Galatians or or the Galatian Christians? What do you know? Where are we starting? What's our contextual starting point? You can throw it out there. House arrest in Rome. Right, okay. Yeah, I mean, he's, this is a prison epistle, right? Um, so he's in under house arrest. Um, he's writing it to, where was the church in Galatia? Yes and no, meaning... The letter to the Galatian church, it's churches. He's writing this letter to churches in the region of Galatia. All right? So it's not just one place. He's writing this, and so this applies to this entire region of churches. Okay? What else do you know? Or what else, maybe when you've read Galatians, you've thought, okay, this, I remember this about the book of Galatians. What's something that stood out to you? I know the part you're giggling at. It's not a good out loud part of the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, the ones that we always talk about are the sins that are obvious. Right. Um, and then he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Right. So there's the sinful nature, the obvious nature, right, of the sinful nature. Um, and then live by the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit, the, 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 the Spirit produces inside of us. What else do you remember about the book of Galatians. Uh, he talks about how we're in bondage to the law. Like, basically, the law set us up to be... Right. Like, we have to be perfect in the law in order, you know, to be righteous before God. And that the seed that came was Jesus, the righteous one, that helped free us from that. Right. Yeah, yeah there's, there's this contrasting view of freedom and bondage. All right. Now, here's the interesting thing. Probably none of us in here grew up under Mosaic law. Probably nobody. You, you didn't grow up and you didn't att- your family didn't attempt to follow Mosaic law. This is where Galatians becomes difficult because we're thinking, wow, this is hard because, like, how are we supposed to, like, understand this? How are we supposed to understand this? Let's read this text that we're going to be digging out of, and it's a, just a small section here, Galatians 6. Uh, we'll actually start in uh, a little bit 
earlier than I had anticipated. Just uh, Galatians 6, let's start in verse 12. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. All right? I, I just want to stop here, just a little tiny point here. We just learned something really important about what we're about to read. All right? Those who are trying to make a good impression outwardly. All right? Now we have a point of reference. Maybe it becomes even a little more real to me and you, right? Have you ever wanted to make a good impression outwardly? All right, I mean, in, in another, right, exactly, is this is bondage, is when I have to put on a front. Like, I've got to make people think, now in the church, certainly it's like that in the world. In the church is where it becomes really dangerous. All right? And so what does that look like in the church when we try to, Make a good impression outwardly. This is where we dig into just, this is what we do, right? I mean, this is a temptation for all of us. And, and so what do some of those things look like? Doing the things to that make, uh, he wants us to do, but inside or at home, we're like grumbling and planning, folding our arms about what you're doing, but we choose to do it anyway so that, you know, you like us, the church likes us, we right. good folks. If the church leader can just like us and we're doing a good job, that's, that's what we need, okay? Uh, what else? Right. So we may, we may talk differently, act differently, have different attitudes, because certainly, man, if, if our brothers and sisters saw the real us, then we'd be in trouble. The church is no place for the real you, right? It, but that's really, we, we live with this. We're like, if, if people really knew me, okay? So I just wanted to say that right off the bat is he's saying, hey, this is, they're imploring you in this case, he says they're trying to compel you to be circumcised, meaning the Jewish Christians were saying, guys, listen, uh, to the Gentile believers, the Jewish Christians were saying, guys, guys, be circumcised. Because that's, I mean, we hold really, like the law means a lot to us, so y'all do it. Because, man, if you do that, we'll feel way better about you. We'll just change this behavior. Just do this thing. Be more like us, all right? Because in a lot of ways, they're getting pressure from brothers outside of the Galatian churches. Like, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard these conversations in church before? What are those guys in Columbia doing? What are they doing? What are you doing down there? <laughs> what are they? Can you believe the behavior of disciples down there? And then we get in behavior mode, like, oh gosh, all the Christians better change their behavior so we all can just feel better about one another. All right? They were saying these Jewish Christians were getting pressure from other Jewish Christians to go, you mean there are people in your church that aren't circumcised? Like, what kind of church do you have there in Galatia? Like, what's wrong with you guys? Over in Ephesus, things are way better. Like, what's wrong with you guys if just do this thing? So we can, like, your behavior will make us all feel like we're closer. All right? Right, exactly. Well, exactly. My wife would probably, too. She's like, man, I mean, would you clean up a little bit? Okay. Uh, so anyway, they're compelling you to do this. Uh, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised so they may boast about your flesh. And here's the text right here, verse 14. Paul says this, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says, I don't ever want to boast in anything. I don't want to, and that word in Greek, that word boast is to proclaim loudly, to, to put your confidence in, to, to share with people, like to share like why things are good for you or why you're in a good place. He said, the only thing I ever want to boast in is the cross of Jesus. And we've been talking about the cross for a while now, all right? And Paul really identifies in two ways with the cross. And this is, this is the section where we have to go back home and really like put some personal examination in this because would me and you, would we say this? Like the only thing I ever boast in, the only thing that I even think is worth anything is the cross of Christ. Like my degree isn't worth anything. Like my job, what I do for a living, it's not, that's not me. That doesn't identify me. Like how much money I have, that's meaningless to me. The car I drive, I mean, you know, all of the material things, when we may go, okay, this is what's going to, this is what's going to tell the world I'm successful. Paul says, I don't boast in those things. And remember, you can write this down in Philippians 3. Do you remember when Paul said, Man, if anyone even has reason to boast and to feel like there's something in this world, particularly in the Jewish world, remember what Paul said? What did he say? He says, I'm right. Essentially, if you think you can boast, then I'm better than you at whatever you can bring up in Judaism, right? I was from the best tribe. I was taught by the best teacher. I exceeded. I was killing people for the cause. You know, and so he's going, but I consider all of that. Remember what he said in verse 6 and 7? All of that, when Paul walked into a synagogue as a Jew, as a Pharisee, he was exalted, right? In Judaism, it was like, wow, he was a superstar. He had something that everybody was like, he is incredible. And Paul said, well, that's rubbish, actually. Like, I consider all of that rubbish. What is it that, I want you to think about this. This isn't an answer you have to give right now. But to think about, okay, what is that thing that you're pursuing where you would go, okay, when other people find this out about me, they're going to know I'm doing really, really well in life. What, what is that thing? You've got to write that down and figure out what am I pursuing with all of my heart to where, man, if people knew this and when they find out about this, They'll go, that guy has it on straight in life. He has made it. He succeeded in life. Right? And it might be your job, and it might be, you know, your spouse. It might be money that you make. It might be uh, whatever. I mean, this is where you've got to take it and kind of think through it and go, wow, what is that? If I were to achieve it, the world would, or at least my close friends, my world would say, wow, he has made it. And, and, and thinking about that, Paul said, here's the only thing that matters is the cross. And the cross had two, to, to Paul, the cross was one coin, 
both sides of one coin, okay? There were two parts to the cross to Paul, okay? And to us, all right? There's the one side of the cross. So imagine this as a disciple. If as we live, the only thing that mattered was the cross of Jesus and there were two distinct parts of one message that was being preached to us over and over and over again as we thought about it day in and day out. The first one is this, is Jesus came for what reason? You fill out that. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? To save us, right? That's exactly right. Jesus came to save us. So there's, here's where we get a little bit worldly. And David brought this up today. We sometimes view God and the world kind of like a Pixar movie. Like God is looking down at the world and he's going, okay, there's Christians and that's great. I love them. And there's the non-Christians, the people that haven't come to me and been baptized in my name and they haven't repented. And man, they're so cute. And I just love them. And if they would just accept me. Gosh, if they would just like, I'm just poor God up here, like, you know, but they're so neat. And I I just hope, and what else can I do? I want to do so much for them so that they'll know that I love them. And we view God that way. Except that's exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches about God. Turn over to Zephaniah chapter three. You're going, oh my goodness, is that in the Bible? It's right at the end. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. It's not Zechariah. It's Zephaniah. I'm taking this little section to show this is a very common theme throughout the writings of the prophets, okay? And this is what's so valuable about going back and understanding the Old Testament and the Word of God. Zephaniah 3, in verse 8. Actually, let's let's start at verse 6. I've cut off nations. Their strongholds are demolished. I've left their streets deserted with no one passing through. Their cities are destroyed. No one will be left. No one at all. This is Zephaniah 3, verse, we're in verse 7 now. I said to the city, surely you'll fear me and accept correction. Then her dwelling wouldn't be cut off, nor all of my punishments come upon her. But they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up to testify. I have decided to assemble all the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them. All my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. All right, is that the God that you realize that when it comes to sinners and sin, that God has to pour out his wrath on that? All right, you, like wrath is different than just perturbed, right? Yeah. Perturbed is like, gosh, it's so annoying they keep sinning. That's, gosh, man, it's so annoying. God is like, I have to kill them and punish them. And and that's what I have to do as a holy God. Okay, this is the message of the cross. It isn't that Jesus came down and was like, come here, buddy. Let me put my arm around you. And me and God are friends with you. And now, come on, be baptized. Jesus is like, no, I have to take his wrath. 
Like God isn't happy with how you're living as a sinner. God is full of wrath towards sinners. Right? That's a common theme throughout the prophets. Okay? This is not, that's why the cross is so important because the cross is truly Jesus stepping in front of the wrath of God. But that's a little bit different, and that may be something we have to like readjust our thinking on, is this idea of God being just the benevolent old man that just is hoping somebody will come to him. But it's a holy God saying, no, I have to kill and wipe out sin. And so we've got to remember that. In fact, remember John the Baptist, Matthew 3, verse 7. John the Baptist told the Pharisees. The Pharisees came to be baptized. And, and you know what John the Baptist told him? He said, who warns you about the coming wrath? In fact, he's kind of like, why y'all here? I didn't even want you here. But he even knew wrath is coming. Like who warns you to come down here to get saved from it? All right. It's you have this wrath and then in Then in Romans chapter 5, verse 9, it's the same. It's, it's the same story. It's the same. It's, it's that God is a God of wrath when it comes to sin. He's not, he doesn't think sin is cute. He doesn't think we're cute with sin. In fact, he says, no, you're actively opposing and fighting me. And so that's the message of the cross is justification. Is, that's how desperately we need sin is being grasped from grasped away from God deciding I have to kill Murphy (laughs) Murphy's like for real but she got baptized right (laughs) that's the thing is it but but in sin God is not happy he's not going oh please accept me please accept me please accept me he's going no no she has to be she has to face wrath and then Jesus going no I'm here let me stop that all right and so do you see there's that one side of it for Paul, which is the, the side of the cross is going, wow, that was a near miss. Like God should have killed me. I was killing his people. God should, I don't, I, the, the understanding of how wrathful God could have been and should have been to Paul. And so there's that side of it. When we come to that reality more and more, and it's, understand, it's not like this one point we get to it. And we're like, oh gosh, I get it. There's like this progressive learning, like we're maturing. Why do you think that could be something that would help us spiritually? Knowing that. Well, why, how could that be helpful outside of just like, oh, I'm just scared of God now? Well, fear is the beginning of wisdom. Right. So um, in order for us to uh, gain the wisdom to change or to even realize that we need to change, right. something needs to spark that. Whew. And doesn't it? I mean, the reality of it is, oh my goodness, even Titus chapter 2, the grace of God teaches us, the grace of God meaning we should have been burnt to a crisp, and we aren't because Jesus died on the cross and rose again. The grace of God does what? Teaches us. That's one of the, boy, that, that fear can teach us. And sometimes we have this kind of love-hate relationship with fear. We're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Fear's not right. And then, except God himself is like, no, fear me. Yeah. 
Because then you'll understand what this is about. Because the other side of the coin, so, so just thinking as, we, as we're learning about this passage, number one, there's a, there's a side of this where we're going to need to go away, probably alone, periodically, on a daily basis even, to get our hearts wrapped around the nature of God and his wrath towards sin and the idea that Jesus in, on the cross it jumped in front of that wrath. All right. Um, Paul writes in Galatians 3.27 is not only did Jesus like protect you, he clothed you in him. Like he totally hid us in him. Okay. There's that part of it. And that's usually where most of us and most of the evangelical Christian world stops. And what I mean by that is we stop, we go, but I've been baptized, but I've been saved. That's it. I've been saved. I'm not. And, and Paul realized, no, Christianity without discipleship is agonizing, yeah. boring, confusing. Yeah. Okay. Do you understand what I mean when I say discipleship? What does that mean when I say Christianity without discipleship? What does that mean? What do you hear? Being religious, like I'm doing all these things. Checking off my list. Okay. I'm not really, like, my heart's not into it. Okay. Well, Christian, what, what Paul would say and what the Bible teaches is that Christianity requires discipleship. Yeah. It's required. Normally we stop. We're just like, oh, I got saved. I'm good. I'm just going to try to do good. And I think that's what you're saying too, Ryan, is, okay, I'm going to try to kind of do things and check the box and all of that. But Christianity requires discipleship, which means discipleship is that our lives now fo actually follow and do what Jesus does. Okay? And not just the behavior, but it's the idea of that we would love the way Jesus loves. That we would have friends the way Jesus had friends. That we believe what Jesus believed. And any step of the way that we believe something Jesus wouldn't believe, we go, I don't believe that anymore. I believe what Jesus believes, okay? So that's what I'm saying is, is Christianity without discipleship is not the message of the cross. That isn't what Paul was saying. He said, I boast, when I think of the cross, what I boast in is his rescuing me and then calling me to live a life, Amen. all right? So when does he do that? When does Jesus call us to live a life that's resembling that of the cross. Yeah, but he, in the Bible, there, it's funny. Jesus told the story and he gave us lessons about the cross long before he died on the cross. Do you remember where those were? Luke 14, right? Turn over to Luke 14. That's a good one. I'm going to, that, that's, that's, that's the place to go. Matthew 16, Mark 9, okay? There was this, anytime there was a shift in the ministry of Jesus is when he taught about the cross. Okay? So Luke chapter 14, this is, this is the second half of the message of the cross. So when Paul is saying, nothing matters to me except the cross of Christ. First and foremost is he's understanding the wrath of God and the salvation of Jesus and being clothed in him. Second of all, it's the cross was a message to Paul of 
follow me now, okay? And we're going to read how he knew that even here in Luke 14. And by the way, if you've not read Luke 14, this is hard stuff right here, okay? This is the verse that actually was read the day I was baptized into Christ. And I left church furious that the preacher preached this. I was so angry. I swore I would never come back to church. And then I got baptized that night. But Luke 14, um, verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father, his mother, hate his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Essentially, he's saying exactly what Paul is saying, which nothing matters except the cross of Christ. Like there is nothing that matters. There can be no one in our lives that are, that are leading us away from the cross of Christ. There can't be anyone. If it's your child, if it's your mom, if it's your dad, if it's your spouse, and they're saying, no, 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 you don't have to. No, the cross doesn't need to be that. You don't have to die. You don't have to do those things. He's saying, you can't choose them. Like, you can't let them influence you. You can't. You've got to love me. And anyone who doesn't, he's, Jesus says very clearly, you can't even be my disciple. That happens sometimes in, it, it happened for me just as somebody that, I mean, I grew up, I was just like Joe, religious guy and everything. And my parents were really upset that I was going to be baptized into Christ and become a disciple. They were upset. And I had to make a decision. Okay, am I going to follow mom and dad? Or am I going to follow the will of God? All right? Some of you guys that have grown up in the church, you never had to make that decision. You've never had to make that decision because mom and dad weren't angry. Mom and dad were really excited. And this can be lost because then we forget that, hold on a minute, there are other realms of our life that we have to go, hold on a minute. I have to not, I've got to leave things sometimes to follow Jesus. Like the cross has to mean so much that I've got to say no, and it might mean a relationship. It might mean a job. It might mean, I think sometimes what can happen is we take jobs and we're like, oh man, my job is just all encompassing now. I can't say no to my job. But all Paul boasts in is the cross of Jesus. Is is that message, right? The message of, hey, if you want to follow me, he says in the next verse, Anyone who doesn't carry his cross and follow me can't be my disciple. Yeah. Right? If we don't die every day, that's discipleship. Is that every day we're dying to ourselves, right? What else do we die to? What else do you know of that you have to die to every single day? What are some of those things? These are the things in our mind that... We've got to just know, okay, I've got to die to this, and I've got to die to cynicism. I've got to die to attitude. I've got to die to independence and pride. I've got to die because all of these things are the way Keith leads life. It's not the way Jesus leads life. And it's not okay just because I go to a church that teaches the right doctrine to, like, leave this off and go, oh, no, 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 but I go to a church that teaches the right doctrine, and I'm around people that believe the right doctrine, and we all agree when it comes to doctrine. 
Like we all agree on these things and we forget that, hold on a minute, every day, like if you were to think of today or yesterday, what did you deny in yourself? Because none of us are to the point where we're just like, I didn't have to deny anything. I'm exactly like Jesus. Like every decision I make is exactly what Jesus would make. We, none of us are there. We aren't going to make it there until Jesus comes back either. But that should be a question we can answer. Like, okay, what did I have to deny? Or what didn't I deny that I now need to repent of? Like, what is, oh gosh, I went my own way yesterday. Wow, you know what? Gosh, Paul writes about that, doesn't he? I should be alarmed by that. I should be indignant. I should be like ready to see justice done, right? That's in the Bible, isn't it? Where is that in the Bible? Yeah, 2 Corinthians 7. These are the, this is just the story of the Bible right here, okay? This is, this is Paul saying, all I boast in when I see the cross of Christ, what I hear is follow me from Jesus. What I hear is, is take up your cross. What I hear is, is, is nothing can get in the way. What, that's what Paul is hearing, but that's what we've got to hear too. Here's one thing I will say that I think requires us to be considering over and over again is sometimes we mistake agreement with conviction. I want you to think about that for a little bit. I want you to go home and think about that. Sometimes you may have even been converted into agreement. Like, oh, I agree you should be baptized. I agree people should repent. I agree sin is bad. I agree the church is the church. I agree all conviction, conversion has nothing to do with agreement. It has to do with conviction. Right? There's a difference between, again, even today what we're talking about, agreeing with it. Paul was convicted by the cross. Paul was, it wasn't about a change. When, we, when we're merely here in agreement, what ends up happening is we start living the way the guys were in the Galatian church, which is, hold on a minute, make sure the outside looks good. That's bondage for us, is make sure the outside looks good. Isn't that, we've lived in it and we felt the bondage. Like, this is too heavy to carry. Like, it's too, I can't keep pretending this any longer. I can't, and, and that may just be where the walls have to come down and you confess about really what's going on in life. Yeah. All right? But the thing about it is when it's about conviction, it's more about what do people see and think on the outside, okay? It's more about changing your behavior. Yeah. Have you ever done that? Like, you're happier with your brothers and sisters as long as they're behaving the way we want you to behave, which is, Come to church on Sunday, come to church on Wednesday, be a part of group of three, be a part of family group, like behave that way and I'll feel better about you. Conviction doesn't mean that you don't participate in those things, but you know why you participate in those things. You know why. Like, well, why do I study my Bible each day? Because it's the word of God, because all of Psalm 119, all 176 verses, because it cuts me, because it teaches me, it's a light to my path. I've got to have it. It's food. All right. See, the cross teaches conviction. The bondage, the law teaches just agreement and outward Christianity. All right. So that may be where the place we've got to change, right, is that idea of going, hold on a minute. Let me, be, let me build deep conviction on the cross. 
So when I come to church on Sunday, it's not because it's an outward thing, like, oh, you know what, people are going to be on me if I don't come to church on Sunday. But I know this is why I go to church on Sunday. I'm not missing coming to church on Sunday. And you mean I get to be with brothers and sisters and we get to sing and fellowship and hear the word of God and, and like just have a fun time together? Why would I miss that? Wednesday nights, you know, all of the behavioral things we do, even, even from a sin perspective, why would I stay pure? And why would I, you know, not go look at pornography? And why would I, you can, you can try to change all those behaviors, but the cross changes the why. Like, you know why you're doing that and why you're staying away from what you stay away from. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And that, again, a lot of information, but it's the idea of me and you taking this and each day we've got to go through this and pray and meditate and really put our heart onto this passage. And if you're like me, our spiritual lives tend to be a little bit like this, meaning like we vacillate between conviction and agreement. Like we can go long periods of time, okay, I'm agreeing with everything that's good in the Bible and all these things. And when we really grow is when our convictions get deep. That's when we really go. We get stagnant in agreement. We grow in conviction.